0: Business Commission meeting on October 24th, 2022. Meeting is being called to order at 432 p.m. This meeting is being held in person in City Hall, room 400, and broadcast live on SFGov TV and available to view online or listen to by calling 415-655-0001. As authorized by California government code section 54953E and Mayor Breed's 45th supplement to her February 25th, 2020 emergency proclamation, it is possible that some members of the Small Business Commission may attend this meeting remotely. In that event, those members will participate and vote by video. The Small Business Commission thanks Media Services and SFGovTV for televising the meeting, which can be viewed on SFGovTV2 or live streamed at sfgovtv.org. We welcome the public's participation during public comment periods. There will be an opportunity for general public comment at the end of the meeting, and there will be an opportunity to comment on each discussion or agenda item on the action item on the agenda. For each item, the commission will take public comment first from people in the room, then from people attending remotely. Members of the public who are calling in the number is 415-655-0001. The access code is 2481730. 3891 press pound and then pound again to be added to the line when connected you'll be in muted you'll be muted and in listening mode only when your item of interest comes up dial star 3 to be added to the speaker line if you dial star 3 before public comment is called you'll be added to the queue when you're called for comment please mute the device that you're listening to the meeting on when it's your turn to speak you'll be prompted to do so Public comment during the meeting is limited to three minutes per speaker and an alarm will sound once time is finished. Speakers are requested but not required to state their names. SFGovTV, please show the Office of Small Business slide. The San
1: Francisco Small Business Commission is the official, uh, and Office of Small Business Staff acknowledges that we are on the unseated ancestral homeland of the Ramaytush Ohlone, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. As the indigenous stewards of this land and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramaytush have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibility as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. As guests, we recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. We wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramaytush community and by affirming their sovereign rights as first people. Please call item number two. What? Roll call? Oh, uh, no, Hi. we didn't.
0: Uh, I must have given you some weird printout.
1: Yeah, I guess uh, I got spun around here. Okay. You said slide, I started reading the slide bit, but <laughs> uh, it's okay.
0: Did I do item one roll call?
1: I think you should do roll call, yeah.
0: Great. Commissioner Carter? Here. Commissioner Dickerson? Present. Commissioner Herbert?
2: Here.
0: Commissioner Huey? Here. President Laguana, Here. Commissioner Ortiz Cartagena is absent, and Vice President Sazunas is absent. President, you have a, for- a quorum.
1: Wonderful. Uh, next item, please.
0: Item two, status of the reopening of the San Francisco economy. This is a discussion item. The commission will hear a presentation from Ted Egan, chief economist with the city and county of San Francisco on the latest data tracking economic recovery.
1: Come on up, Ted.
3: Good
2: afternoon,
3: afternoon, commissioners. Ted Egan uh, with the controller's office here to review with you the last economic indicators report that we published a few weeks ago covering September and to answer any of your questions about uh, the state of the city's um, economic recovery. Um, Just to hit some of the highlights um, in our September report, Uh, The last data that we had for jobs was in August, and that was the first month that the metro division, which is San Francisco and San Mateo counties, had lost jobs uh, in about a year. Um, However, the city's unemployment rate still remains extremely low, 2.1 percent on a seasonally adjusted basis, Um, slightly up from from July, but again, near record levels of low unemployment. One aspect of uh, the city's recovery that's been fairly strong this year is tourism. Um, It's been strong in many places and San Francisco has a good recovery um, in the early part of the year. It slowed a bit during the summer, uh, but we have seen strong recovery in international air travels. So international air travels are now 77% of where they were in July of 2019. That's actually a stronger recovery than we're seeing in domestic air travel. Um, which is 74%, and that's a reversal of trends that we've been seeing over the past year. Another thing that's notably changing in the city's economy is the housing market. Home values, according to Zillow in San Francisco, have already dropped 4% from May to August. Um, apartment rents are flat, which is actually relatively good compared to other cities where rents are dropping, um, but our apartments are still down 9% from where they were before the pandemic, um, which is... Um, Uh, the largest drop of any large city in the country. Um, So I think the overall conclusion is San Francisco still has a a fairly weak economic recovery, um, and I'll walk you through some of the details now. As I mentioned, jobs had declined for the first time since since, uh, September of 21. Um, We... um, just received the September data from EDD. It's not reflected in this report yet. It will be reflected in our, in our October report, and that shows further uh, job loss. Um, but also still uh, a very strong unemployment rate. Um, in August, we saw some job growth in tourism, which was good. And for the first time in a long time, we began to see job declines in in sectors with a lot of tech, including business and professional services and information. And in the data we've just gotten from EDD, we've seen further declines in tech. Um, So we may have turned a corner in that sector. There's been an increasing number of layoffs as venture capital and um, tech stocks have been hit very hard in this year, and that's led some companies to cut back on headcount.
1: Ted, could I interrupt you for one quick question about this graph? Um, So... The yellow is 2020 through August of 2022. The blue is July through August of 2022. It says employment change. Uh, From this, it might take that leisure and hospitality is still, uh, net employment
3: is still down considerably? Yes, it's down close to 30,000, notwithstanding that one good month, or several good months. Great, thank you. Um, This is showing the number of employed residents in San Francisco, which continues to rise but it's not as high as it was before the pandemic. Um, And the unemployment rate, which is, again, very low and as low as it was before the pandemic. Uh, Part of the reason why you can have essentially the same unemployment rate but not as many employed people is there just not as many people in the labor force in San Francisco as there were before the pandemic. Um, This is an indicator we track every month on people's mobility in san francisco one of the things we noticed about the city uh, from the early days of the pandemic is that san franciscans were staying home more than than their counterparts in other cities and this is comparing overall time spent away from home um, uh, which is the orange with san francisco versus the state of california it's gradually gotten better people are are still spending about ten percent less time at away from home uh, or ten percent Um, more time at home than they were before the pandemic, so they're not going out as much. We also track the time spent at workplaces, uh, which includes people who are working from home. And that number is still down, um, and there's quite a gap between where we are and where the state is there uh, at above 40%. Uh, another look at the work-from-home phenomenon is from looking at the security card swipes data provided by Castle Systems. Here we're tracking San Francisco and four other metro areas. Um, we, which are the, we are the red line here. We've been pretty steady around 40% of normal um, uh, over the past couple of months. Um, And what that means is that our office attendance on a given week is 40% of what it was during that week in 2019. So again, um, it's a fairly weak recovery in the office sector. I always point out that even the strongest recovery in the office sector, Austin, is about 60% of normal. So basically, we're around two days a week in the office on average, and Austin is around three days a week uh, on average. And I would just say, parenthetically, that on a national level, most indicators of economic activity have recovered. Restaurant you know, reservations have recovered. Lines at airports have recovered. On a given day, professional sports attendance has recovered. The one thing that clearly has not recovered is office attendance, and that's true everywhere, but particularly true in San Francisco. Um, another thing that we track every month is new business registrations um, through the Treasurer's Office. Um, we have seen throughout the pandemic relatively slow rates of new business formation, which is disappointing because we know that a lot of businesses have closed and there are there's certainly room for new businesses to start. We're beginning to see a slight uptick, I would say, the past several months in some of these. Sectors, but nothing like what we saw before the pandemic. So, I would say the rates of new business formation are maybe 25% less than what they were, depending on the sector, before the pandemic. Uh, we had, a, as I mentioned, we've had good recovery in tourism, um, as have most other parts of the country, throughout 2022. Um, our hotel data seemed to have peaked in June when we had. Uh, some large convention activity. And since then, we've seen uh, both the average daily rate and the uh, occupancy come down a little bit. When we look at San Francisco in context, we can also see that peak here where the red line that's sort of below the other lines. You could see we had a you know, large growth from the start of the year when we were maybe 20% of normal up to almost 90% of normal in, in June, and that has trailed off a bit. And in and in August we were about seventy percent of normal. Um, other cities, like I mentioned, are at least a hundred. You know, in some cases more than a hundred percent of where they were. Um, but there's quite a gap between where San Francisco is with hotel revenue recovery, and and other cities that we're comparing ourselves here uh, against here. Um, Similar story with air travel. I mentioned that air travel recovery, domestic air travel, has kind of recovered. It's around 74% actually. Still lagging most of the other places, although we're more or less tied with LA at this point. Um, again, some other places are, are, are at 100%. Um, international, the recovery has been quite strong. Again, there's some places where you've seen very strong recovery. Um, Kind of more of the North American international market, Phoenix and Denver, as much, not as much the um, trans-pacific uh, market that uh, that that um, San Francisco and Seattle and Los Angeles specialize in. but but our recovery there has been has been quite strong, and we're in a group of cities. we're not a we're not a, a, an extreme outlier there, and that's good news. Um, one of the things we've been tracking throughout the pandemic, is the kind of shift in how people are getting around. Um, We're continuing to see very healthy volumes on bridges and a lot of automotive traffic. Bay Bridge is 92% of pre-pandemic levels, the Golden Gate Bridge a little bit less. So much more recovery of bridge traffic than we are seeing recovery in people coming to offices. And we can also see that data when we look at the freeway speed data within San Francisco. you know, the average before the pandemic um, was a little over 30 miles an hour. The speed in September was, a, was below 30 miles an hour. So congestion is worse than what it was in the pandemic. That may be our one unfortunate area of full recovery. Um, and why is that happening? Well, one reason is that, is that people are still avoiding transit. Um, this is the BART ridership or BART exits to downtown San Francisco. Uh not a lot of movement in that during the um during the summer. Uh we saw a little bit of a boost with the latest data from um from September. We haven't released that yet. Uh but again we're around 30 percent of normal in in BART. So again, 90 percent, 80 percent on the bridge traffic, 30 percent with BART. Uh that's got obvious very significant implications for this recovery of the city's economy. We can't refill downtown without BART. Without you know, there aren't enough parking spaces for everyone to go back to the office um, by driving. Um, downtown San Francisco was really built on many of that sp- much of that space after BART was completed, and so we really need to have people ride um, uh, the rail traffic, the rail transit infrastructure, uh, to have a full recovery downtown. This is the system-wide BART traffic. It's a little bit better than downtown San Francisco. Uh, Slight upward trend, but but not that much better. As I mentioned, we had flat apartment rents um, last month, September. Um, That was relatively good. The the rental market nationally is starting to soften. Um, And in San Francisco, it didn't soften. It just kind of was flat. And we're gonna continue to watch that one. There's obviously room to grow in San Francisco since our rents are still down. Uh, compared to the pandemic, and uh, and that is unusual for other big cities. Um, looking at the the home ownership side of things, this is looking at condo and single family home prices in San Francisco, and in um, uh, the state, uh, we saw weaker um, growth in um, how uh, house prices than the rest of the state during the pandemic, and we're beginning to see faster downturns uh, now that the housing market seems to have turned since the early summer, um, not dramatic, but we are seeing a, a quicker and slightly faster drop in housing prices. Um, the, the softness that we've seen in housing in the city um, has, has had us our building permit activity, our housing development to be well below trend throughout the pandemic. And it's really slowed down in 2022. And that's a sign of first rapidly rising mortgage rates that are now above 7% on average and the downturn in housing prices that we're seeing as a result of that. Uh, So I think that covers our our quick review of the city's economy and where we see things stand. I think the main thing we're watching out for in the upcoming report in the months to come is whether or not we see weakening in the labor market. Um, An indicator that we track that we haven't published thus far is uh, job listings, Um, but we do have a source for job listings that we may start to incorporate in these reports. We've seen, in the tech sector in particular, a real slowdown in the job listings from about 6,000 a month to about 3,000 a month. And um, that when job listings will generally slow down before you start to see actual drops in net employment. So that's kind of what we're waiting for. Obviously, the the macroeconomic situation this year has been one of reduced federal spending or reduce growth in federal spending, certainly, and also um, rising interest rates with the intent of cooling the economy. Uh, we haven't really seen that yet, but we're expecting to see that in the, in the months that follow. So that's, those are the changes in the economic reports that we're going to be watching for coming up. And uh, I would be happy to take any questions the Commission has at this time. Great. Thank you
1: so much. Uh, commissioners, do we have any questions? Commissioner, Huey, I saw you nodding your head, so you 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 win the press. Oh, yes? Yes. Okay, go for it.
4: Sure. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ted, for your presentation. That was really um, eye-opening, I guess, even though we kind of know, like, we can feel some of these things, but to see the metrics is really helpful, and it brings about a lot of uh, different ways to kind of, like, look at, you know, opportunities, I think, for the city. Um, I have a few different questions that don't all flow together quite yet, since um, I nodded my head prematurely. <laughs> but um, one is, I'm kind of curious as to what your thoughts are in terms of like um, what the recovery might look like once Asia starts to open up a little bit further, if that might fill in some of those gaps and um, how far those gaps might be filled with that.
3: Um, I mean, that could potentially mean lots of different things. Um, Simply from the perspective of increased international travel out of China to the United States, that would be great for our tourism. Um, I'm trying to track with numbers this kind of phenomenon people talk about of deglobalization and reshoring of production that happened uh, in China previously and to the extent that that companies are trying to move production back to the U.S., what does that mean for West Coast places that relied on on trade with China? I'm not seeing a lot in the data about that yet, so it's not clear to me what further reopening would mean, other than um, an alleviation of supply chain bottlenecks, which was originally, like a year and a half ago, a cause of inflation. I think the inflation situation has kind of moved on well beyond supply chain problems and and bottlenecks there, but certainly um, stronger Chinese recovery uh, um, would benefit benefit those things. I think those are the two things I would point to.
4: And then when you see the um, international upticks in Denver and Phoenix, where do you think those are from? Are those...
3: It's probably Canada and, and Mexico. That's kind of what the, where those places specialize in in terms of international travel. They're not primarily international airports, mm-hmm. but my understanding is that's where their international market is focused.
4: Okay. Um, I'm also kind of wondering, um, in terms of conventions, there the uptick in June, and um, it made such a noticeable difference. Like, how many conventions is that to to actually make, like, a noticeable uptick?
3: I, I think the big one that month was the RSA, and I think that was probably the one. I can't remember of any other big ones of that size. There may have been some some smaller ones, but, um, yeah, it was several months ago, and I don't have, remember the exact details of that one convention, um, but that was, uh, that was what was happening at that time.
4: Okay. Um, I'm going to work on my questions okay. a little bit, and then I'll <laughs> come back. Thank you.
1: Apologies for putting you on the spot, <laughs> Commissioner <Okay>. Huey. <laughs> uh, Commissioner Herbert. Yes. Am I,
2: there you go. No. No. All right,
0: one more time. I think you keep, I keep clicking it on, and you keep clicking it off. Just click it one more time. Red, oh, yeah. hello. Maybe you're at the wrong mic.
2: Try this one. Right. Okay. Try that one. Oh, uh, that one. Hello? Ah, oh, oh, there, there you go. go. Thank you um, for your very interesting report. Um, I have kind of a future tripping question, um, which is that there's talk of a recession in the second quarter of next year. Uh, does it seem as though, and I know it's really hard to predict this, that um, the economy in San Francisco might recover enough to not be as affected by a potential recession in the second quarter of next year?
3: Um, I actually think it's it's more likely than not that we will be affected by more than than the average place because um, the tech sector seems to be hit very hard by rising interest rates. Um, Venture capital is is off by more than 50 percent. We haven't been spared by that. you always have to remember with the tech industry in San Francisco in particular, uh, there are some profitable companies, but a lot of the companies are kind of trading on, on hopes and dreams, if you like. And I'm not disparaging that, but I'm just saying, when people feel confident about investing in tech stocks, we get a lot of investment. And when people feel less confident, that money isn't there, and the companies, in many cases, aren't mature enough to really grow, or despite, or with a few exceptions they don't have the resources to continue to grow, you know, in an environment where it's harder to attract new investment. So because of the outside, um, the outsized uh, impact of that industry on our city, I think it's likely we're going to be harder hit than than the average U.S. place and also the weakness of our recovery so far. Um, I do think that coming out of the recession, San Francisco is going to look like a place that's got a lot of space to grow and a lot of opportunities to grow. But I think going into it, um, uh, it could be worse for us um, than other places. Now, a mitigating factor is the fact that a lot of the tech workers are still working at home. Mm -hmm. So if they're laid off, we're already not seeing their lunch traffic because they're working at home, if you see what I mean. In other words, the economic impact of that industry has been weakened by the pandemic. Um, so despite the fact that, you know, it's by far the most recovered part of our local economy, it's, it's grown by like 50,000 jobs since the start of the pandemic, um, the, the impact of the industry isn't the same, and so the impact of losing that industry wouldn't be as bad.
2: Thank
5: you.
3: Great.
2: Commissioner
1: Ortiz-Cartagena.
5: Thank you, President Aguana. Thank you for your report. They're always interesting and I I love them. I I guess my, my question just to pick your brain, just, you know, in our communities, we, we have like a laggard effect, right? So like we enter recession a little later and it lasts a lot longer for us always. Um, what do you think are some permanent economic outcomes in the city? That's probably never going to recover. It's just going to be a new model or is it going to change? Um, or what's going to linger the most? Because, you know, we're going to get whammy. If we're not in the recession, whether it's Q1, Q2, it's their inflation. You know, this looks like the 70s to me, right? Like, so I just need to prepare my community. Like, what's going to linger? What should we be preparing for?
3: I think that the two kind of things I worry about for the local economy now are the recession we've just been talking about, which I would say, you know, not every economist is predicting a recession next you know second quarter of next year but i do think it's kind of the majority opinion at this point and i would also say probably the majority of them would think it's it's going to be a fairly brief and relatively mild recession of maybe six months or so only because it's really being caused by the federal reserve trying to get an inflation under control and if they keep, you know, the speculation goes, if they keeps raising and inflation doesn't get under control and they see a serious recession, they're going to say this isn't working. And it's time to move to plan B. Plan B is not great because then you're st- still stuck with inflation. But again, that's a different situation than like a, fan- a financial crisis or, um, you know, a major, a major economic shutdown, which is not to say that can't happen. But again, I also don't think that's what most people are forecasting. So the recession is one thing. Um, the problem is that in San Francisco, it's occurring in the context of, of a weak recovery and a weak local economy in the context of a U.S. economy that's never been this strong, you know, never seen kind of this level of rapid inflation, this level of overheating of the economy, which is prompting the Federal Reserve to do these things. And in that world, we still have downtown San Francisco pretty empty and are, you know, Airport, maybe 25 percent, missing 25 percent of the customers, and similar things with hotels. So, um, for those numbers to recover, I think you're going to need more than just coming out of the economic cycle. I think you're going to need a kind of a reset, Um, and people are going to have to make do with sort of lower prices on things than they had expected to see before. Like, for example, hotel rates are down, but they haven't come down to the point that people are filling up their rooms at, at any cost, right? But if you see downward you know, hotel demand, at some point you start to say our hotels are just too expensive, and the same thing the office buildings will say, and, and, and that's basically will mean we need to get used to having kind of less value coming into the city's economy before we see things fill up again. And I've got major kind of questions about the downtown office BART complex because I don't know how BART can really go forever based on 30% occupancy. I don't know any enterprise that can say we're just going to not have 70% of our customers and everything will be fine. Like that can't go on forever. But if there's a cutback, a reduction in BART service, you, as I said before, you can't serve those office buildings with people. You can't get people. Down there. Um, the, the half of the of the city's office workforce that lives outside of San Francisco needs to be able to get there. And if they don't get there, then you have a whole set of other cascading effects on the rest of the city's economy. You, you can't forget that offices are 75% of this of the city's GDP. Uh, and, and if the office market stays in a permanent you know, lull or, or recession, then that affects everything else. Uh, Uh, the fact that housing construction is down and housing prices are down here, um, it's not directly office related, but I would argue it's office related. Our housing is weak because one of the reasons our housing is so expensive is you need to, you need to be, you need to live here to get access to a San Francisco high paying job. But if you don't need to be here to get access to that job, if you can do it remotely, then why would you pay so much for a condo in San Francisco or a house in San Francisco? And and if our our housing is overpriced, well, then that implies a reset for housing development because now nobody's pro formus work. So it starts with the the sectors that drive the economy, in particular office and tourism, and it ripples throughout every other sector of the city's economy. So what I frankly think will have to happen after the recession is we're gonna have to see a reset and some of the values and prices that those uh, industries are used to expecting in order to get things refilled. And in the case of offices, it could take a long time because our offices are now about 25% vacant, and that number is going to go up before it goes down. And there's a recession in the and indus- in, a hiring freeze or downturn in the industry that's been taking up most of the office space for 15 years. And that's the sector where people are most comfortable from working from home and want to. So you're looking at a combination of high vacancy and pretty weak demand before you even start talking about the recession. Um, So that's, yeah, that's kind of the one-two punch that I'm afraid the city's economy is facing.
5: And and that reset from a percentage Perspective, what are you thinking? 25%, 30%? What's the, you know, because it seems like it, we were artificially per square foot on that office space, right? So, what does that look like? Just so we could start preparing, because it does have trickle effects to the office, the small business.
3: Um, I mean.
5: And nobody's going to hold you to it. I won't
3: make a forecast, but I will say in past recessions, great recession, dot com crash, certainly uh, early 1990s recession you saw declines in asking rents of 30 to more than 50%. Um, So those numbers wouldn't be unprecedented. Um, But I wouldn't want to guess this one yet until I see more about what demand looks like. I I continue to be kind of bullish, actually, about the long-term future of San Francisco offices because I'm not just being a booster. The companies that are here pay really good salaries. And if you're... Anywhere in Northern California, and you could get to a San Francisco office one or two, maybe three days a week, why would you ever do your job making less wages in, you know, I don't want to pick on any particular city, but they all pay less than San Francisco. So if you thought, no, I'm going to work, you know... A long, some office park along 680 corridor because I don't like a long commute. Well, now you can work in San Francisco. You don't need a long commute. Maybe Again, I don't think remote's the future. I think hybrid's the future. So y- people are going to need to be connected. They're going to need some office space, but they might need so much less office space that it'll take a long time for it all to work out. But, but I really do think that we're looking at, like, a bigger mega-bay area, mega bay area. Um, and I do think that ultimately San Francisco will be able to draw people in from a from a larger area, but perhaps not as widely. But that's an advantage that San Francisco has that other places can't have. If you were working at San Ramon, you just can't get there from Santa Rosa.
5: Absolutely. And and I'm with you. I'm bullish. Generationally bullish. Yep. San Francisco, best city ever was, will be. So. I'm with you on that.
3: Future well, that's a whole different, yes, that's <laughs> also true, but I'm talking just about commuting.
5: <laughs> so put your money here after the recession. Yeah.
1: Commissioner Huey.
4: Well, I guess, um, you know, my question draws from that, like, in terms of the small business ramifications, because um, at this point, I feel like many of our small businesses are already kind of teetering around with very high costs. Yep. of doing business, um, much of that in our salaries and our minimum wage and all those kind of things that go into um, keeping everybody able to live here. Um, So if we're looking at a reset of values in terms of how much we can kind of charge for things, like let's say in the restaurant business, what do you see like happening in the small business sector? Because it's very different than tech, right? We can't, I, I can't hybrid, right. you know, the small business sector generally. I,
3: the, the reset I was talking about is probably more in the realm of real estate than in the realm of um, service providing and goods providing businesses. But uh, okay. I do think that the small business sector in general faces some unique problems. That are, that are not just temporary. And, and labor is a primary one. Um, I've been studying the demographics of people moving out of San Francisco since the start of the pandemic. And um, through 2021, which is the last time that we have official census data, San Francisco lost more population than any other city in the country. And I think people were quick to say, it's all those tech workers moving to wherever. Um, and that was some of it. But but there are 55% fewer people who are working in food service occupations in 2021 than there were in 2019. Um, A very, very big drop in the lower wage labor force in San Francisco because people got laid off in 2020 and many of them moved away. Um, The data isn't out yet where we can find out where they really moved to. I mean, if they moved across the bay, that's a drag, but it's not as big a drag as if they moved to the Central Valley and will never work in a San Francisco restaurant again. so but I think that you know from a small business point of view, you worry about it from the perspective of my labor shortage from a small business employee point of view, you work at it from like, I'm in a low-wage industry and I'm in an expensive city, and I can't have interruptions of employment or this this town doesn't make sense anymore mm-hmm. um, and so um, one hope um, uh, that comes out of a recession or a reset in San Francisco is that some people say no I can afford to live here again or at least I can afford to live nearby enough so that so that I'm able to um, uh, um, make myself available to work in person in San Francisco um, I think the bright spot for industries like restaurants is I think the exodus of high-wage workers, wealthy people, is kind of overblown, and I don't think that's permanent. Um, um, so I would be super surprised if the pressure on restaurant prices was permanent. I'd be more worried from a restaurant margin point of view about the cost side than the, than the revenue side. Um, it's not a, I don't think it's a great situation. Of course, there are lots of other small businesses that aren't catering to wealthy people that don't have that that upward lift, Um, but I I do think that's a better situation than if the whole city's kind of economy was falling apart, which I really don't see happening um, from the data yet.
4: Um, Another question I had in regards to BART was, is there a distinction between kind of BART traffic that's like to work versus like leisure BART traffic? Like, um, just because I feel like much of it is what we see as kind of like the, the... um, commuting traffic, but but there's some leisure in terms of going to games and things, but I'm wondering if there's an opportunity there to kind of find more leisure BART traffic.
3: One of the things we can see with the data that BART releases is um, traffic by day of the week, ridership by day of the week, and also hour of the day. So, for example, um, Monday, Friday are particularly bad. Um, Compared to pre-pandemic, because people are not going to work on those days, um, but the weekends are better. The weekends are more like sixty percent of normal, and that's that's very important for retail and getting the local um, for for entertainment, for getting the the Bay Area market into San Francisco. Again, it's just sixty percent. The last time I checked, it's not hundred percent, but it's better than the than the office situation. And uh, I do think you know some other things that are notable. The early morning is a lot worse than the eight o'clock hour. So that makes me think that people just aren't doing the long distance thing to BART anymore. Um, they're doing the, you're getting recovery in the local thing and we'll have to see what becomes of that trend. But I would agree. I mean, there's certainly capacity, you know, the the recovery of of the weekend traffic for BART is kind of like the recovery in hotels. It's it's not hundred percent, but it's better than offices and it's better than that scene. and and that may be something that comes out of this—that downtown becomes a little bit more entertainment-focused. But again, they have the same problems of other low-wage industries about, um, you know, retailers getting employment, getting workers, and things like that.
4: Well, it could be kind of an opportunity for us in the small business community to kind of think about how do we attract more regional kind of movement, I guess, um, in some of the to be able to help with some of these um, other hours.
3: I yeah, I agree. Thank you great uh
1: commissioner carter
6: thanks for the presentation i think this is like the talk that everybody is wanting to know about right now and as a restaurant owner what is san francisco without restaurants so you know we definitely need um companies here to support um, I think I'm interested in what other industries are we looking at. I heard the mayor talk about life sciences and things like that. What are some other industries that that are in the talks? And then, what other what industries are driving the economy in other regions that San Francisco can model?
3: Um. I would say about um, biotech that that is an industry that's become an important part of the city's economy and it has grown rapidly. Uh, employment in biotech in the city has basically doubled in the last five years. It's an in-person industry, um, and you know it's a good target. It's a good thing to go after. I think the thing to remember though is it's doubled and it's still less than 10,000 jobs in a city where you know employment before the pandemic was about 700,000 jobs. So, so, there's about 10, I, 10 or more jobs in information technology for every one job in biotech. And, and it's not really, it's not really, uh, it's a good target. It's not really realistic to think we'll switch from being a tech center to a biotech center. I don't think we're going to be able to, to absorb, there's that much demand that we could absorb um, to grow there, where we could certainly expand more. And there are lots of signs of people with, with office properties and other types of property pivoting to biotech and that's great for the city's continuing economic diversification. Um, The Office of Economic and Workforce Development is about to embark on a study that's going to look specifically about promising areas for future diversification of the city's economy and I wouldn't want to speculate before that study gets off the ground. Um, I think the idea is they'll be looking at things that Kind of work in the Bay Area, but maybe haven't grown in San Francisco. But maybe we could, you know, convince them to come to San Francisco. The the challenge of, and I used to do this for a living before I worked for the city to do economic development strategies for places. And you know, we were based in San Francisco, and we would go to cities and all over the place. And and they would say, can you? tell us how to have a San Francisco-type economy. And I was like, actually, no, because there's so many ways in which your city you know, just isn't suited for the types of things that we have in San Francisco and vice versa. So, I mean, it's, San Francisco's a very, very unique economy. It's a particularly expensive place, and the wages here are very high. And the places, you know, the industries that would work in many other cities just won't work here. And on the other hand, the places say, gee, we'd love to steal your tech companies and move them to wherever, You know, the tech companies, at least until very recently, have been wanting to be rooted in the Bay Area. So I think it's always a good idea to kind of take stock and say, where are we underperforming and what kinds of things could we go after? But I, I think from an economy point of view, the only city that's kind of been in the league of San Francisco... Um, in the past 15 years, is Austin, Texas, and it has a profile that's very similar to ours: tech, tourism, entertainment, you know, nightlife, um, and uh, and it's it's very much the same kind of model. So um, I know that people are talking about other cities from sort of a planning point of view, um, but the you know, other than Austin, I think our our economy as a city economy is very unique. Thank you.
1: Commissioner Ortiz-Cartagena.
5: One last thing, Ted. Um, with about seventy-five percent of our coffers coming from, you know, the affected areas, what is, what is the correlation, obviously, with our city budget? You know, like because that's going to have effect, you know, on services and especially in our communities. You know, CBOs and funding for all the stuff that we fund in the city, just so we could prepare.
3: Yeah, I, I'm not really the the budget expert but i will talk about a couple of ways in which the work we're doing is 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 helping people on the revenue forecasting side Um, we have built a model to uh, help understand what all this office vacancy means for property tax and one of the things i i can tell the commission it's sort of good news in the in the short term is that things like prop 13 and you know the existence of companies on long-term leases should protect our office property tax for the next couple of years, two or three years. Um, you know, Prop Thirteen has the effect of um, uh, because office values have gone up so much in San Francisco, and yet with Prop Thirteen, your value, your assessed value, can only go up two percent a year, unless the building has just sold. It's probably assessed way below its market value and that means it can absorb a loss to its market value without having its taxes you know be less so that kind of cushions the city in a downturn like during the Great Recession we didn't really see any downturn in property taxes when other parts of the state were seeing major major drops Um, but again that's a short-term thing if this is a permanent drop in office demand and let's say eight years in the future, we've managed to get office vacancy down, but rents are 40% of what they are now. Well, that's going to affect the value of the property, and that's going to affect property taxes. But I think particularly with property tax, we're going to see that coming. Um, We're starting to model it now. Um, Office business tax, which is our other major source of tax revenue, the gross receipts tax, we saw that immediately because work from home meant people... um, didn't spend as much time in San Francisco and didn't owe as much tax. Uh, One of the things, though, that saved us during the pandemic was that so many of our, our big tech companies had really, really strong years and lots of revenue growth. So we saw a downturn in business tax, but it would have been worse if we had seen tech go down at the same time. I'm worried that this year and next year, we may see those companies actually have reduced sales. And so we may see some more weakness in that. But probably the worst is over in business tax. It won't go down to worse than it was in 2020 or 2021. Um, the others have mainly just been disappointingly recovered. You know, hotel tax has been disappointing. Uh, sales tax has been disappointing, uh, but the two big ones are property tax and business tax that I've already alluded
5: and, to. And the decline, we were speaking mostly of commercial. What do you see like residential? Now I'm just curious personally, do you think it's going to have the same correlation or it's in its own? It's hard solo. to
3: say. I mean, it's hard to see what would cause like a double-digit drop in housing prices um, or, or anything along the lines of what we might be thinking for offices because there are other reasons to be in San Francisco than just proximity to, to, um, uh, you know, to offices. And, we, and our housing prices have grown you know, over the course of the pandemic. So we're watching that carefully. If we do see a serious correction, then we can start to do an, a housing version of the model I just talked about. Housing is a much bigger piece of our property tax pie. It's more than half of it. So it's, you know, we're obviously very sensitive to that. But I don't think we're nearly as worried about housing downturn as we are for office.
2: Thank you. Commissioner Herbert. Just one more question. This might sound strange, but if we're concerned about populating downtown and people are working from home, would it make sense to create more housing downtown and get creative with existing structures to populate that area, and then services might follow, and there would be activity down there. Um, yeah, that it might
3: happen. I mean, a lot of people would like to see that happen. It hasn't happened yet, and there hasn't been much interest in it. And I'm I'm not that surprised by that because of the inflation in construction costs, and also um, the softness in housing prices, particularly condo prices, particularly downtown. Um, that seems to be the part of the city's housing market where people are saying if I don't need to be here I don't need to be you know if I don't need to be here for work I don't need to be here to live um, so it's not clear to me where the demand is gonna come from there and it's a little bit of a catch-22 like you'd like to have more vitality down there and yes having a lot of residents would do that but what's the draw for residents if there isn't any vitality and of course Vitality isn't just vitality. It's small businesses that have to be open and started and have staff and, you know, make money. And it has the challenges that I was just talking about uh, there. So I can kind of see that vision, but there are a number of obstacles um, for it being realized. And, you know, frankly, from the standpoint of someone who watches the economy as a whole, um, it would be better for the city's economy to have the offices full than to have the offices convert to housing. The, the economic bang you get f- for the buck from, from offices is just so much stronger um, that if we turned into one of those downtowns that just didn't have much central business district but had some you know, high-rise condos with views and some nightlife, I think the city's economy would, be, would suffer a lot from that. That's a very interesting point.
1: <clears throat> uh, Ted, first, I, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to come down and, and speak with this commission as you've done throughout the pandemic. Uh, I think the information is invaluable, um, not only educates the commission, but allows us to educate our, our community members and, and the other folks that we interface with and, and help, um, uh, quite frankly, uh, lobby for. More thoughtful legislation and, and ways to help ad- advance the recovery uh, at the policymaker level. So, thank you very much for for taking the time. A uh, couple questions uh, for you. Uh, first, uh, I, I know I've asked you about this a couple different times during the pandemic. Do we have any visibility yet, or any um, sense of how we might get visibility? into net new business registrations. Um, I know our, our, our uh, the, the business registrations from the graph you had shown were down 25%, uh, but that of course is just additional or new business registrations. What we don't see is, is number of closures. Um, and I know that the city doesn't have a, an automatic input into closures because there's no requirement to notify the city when you shut down. But I'm wondering if you've figured out or are aware of anything that would give us uh, insight into net new businesses.
3: Um, First of all, thank you for your comments, Commissioner. I'm happy to speak to the Commission on these issues anytime. Um, I don't want to pretend to be an expert on the Treasurer's Office's processes, but it relates to your question, and it's something we've tried to track down in the past. I think the, the issue is... Businesses know they need a business registration, so they file, and that's something we can date, and boom, it goes into the database. It's not always the first thing in the mind of a business that's closing down, oh, I have to notify the city. And it's not time-sensitive from the perspective of the treasurer's office. And so what winds up happening is you see in the business closure data clumpiness, like no business is closed for eighty three days and then all of a sudden fifty businesses close on one day it's probably someone catching up with eighty three days of mail Um, then there's a situation of the treasurer's office just doesn't know that it's closed and they've sent here please renew your register don't forget to file your business taxes and my understanding is if that mail comes back for three years they just sort of administratively close the business Um, all of which is saying is it may be possible to say over the past three years, these are all the businesses that have closed, and these are all the businesses that have opened. But I don't think we can do a monthly. Here's the new ones, and here's the closed ones, and where are we on a net basis? Um, I, but you know, I haven't tried to do the three-year back. so now I'm kind of interested in seeing if we can do that and what that might show. Because we're we're closing in on three years since the start of the pandemic, so it's it might be a good time to do that snapshot.
1: So, um, yeah, I, I agree. Uh, th- thinking about the unemployment, uh, so y- you had mentioned that the uh, leisure and hospitality was down 30,000 jobs, and yet unemployment was 2%. Obviously, that would imply that the working population was 1.5, so in, it's not. We know that the working population is like six hundred, seven hundred thousand. 700,000, I think, maybe, maybe it's closer to 500 or 400 now. Uh, so that suggests that those lost jobs are being made up elsewhere, pre- presumptively tech, which is what showed all the, the job growth um, post-pandemic. So um, it's hard to imagine that the food and or leisure and hospitality workers have suddenly gotten jobs as, as software engineers at tech. Um, so that sort of begs the question, what, if anything, do we know about the demographics of unemployment? I imagine we might know something, but I
3: don't know how current that that data is. I, I would say that um, your your question is sort of aimed directly at the weak spot in the regional labor market data that the state and federal agencies provide to us. And I would say that you know we cite the unemployment rate labor force, employed residents every month, they're not doing a count of employed residents every month. The things they count every month are how many people are working at the businesses they survey, and they have a pretty good estimate of industry employment. But what does that mean If to say that the tech industry have expanded 50,000 jobs in San Francisco? They don't know how many of those people spend how many days in San Francisco. They could, that could be 50,000 jobs in San Francisco. That really means 50,000 people in Lake Tahoe and Mm. nobody coming into San Francisco. So that's a big unknown. Right. Um, They know the number of people who file for unemployment who live in San Francisco, and they have a generally good idea of how many are still on unemployment. So they can get a pretty good estimate of the number of unemployed people. That's the best Source of data, but they back into the number of employed residents and labor force from the industry data um, using kind of old census data about how people get to work and where they live and work. If that's totally changed because of the pandemic, and we think it probably has, then they really don't have a great idea of the number of of the size of the labor force in San Francisco, which means the unemployment rate is a, is kind of a dodgy number. Um, and that's how it's possible for there to be um, why aren't there more unemployed people if you know, our second biggest industry is down 30,000 jobs? And the answer is the unemployment rate is probably not right, and the 30,000 people might have moved away, and the unemployment rate calculation doesn't take account of that. Because the movement of population isn't ever something this thing surveys. The only thing they're looking at is the number of jobs and they're they're looking at old data on how many of those people are residing in San Francisco and the number of unemployed people, which is low. Well, that's very clear. But that could just mean all the people who were unemployed left San Francisco, and that's why there's no that's why it's so hard to hire people
5: here.
1: That makes sense. So, let me tell you where I'm going with this a little okay. bit, and, and tell me if you would agree. Like, perhaps I'm stretch, stretching the string out a, a, a bit thin, uh, but tell me if, if, if you might agree with this analysis. Uh, so, we've seen in the unhoused population a surge in Hispanic, uh, in the Hispanic population. Um, other demographics have decreased. Uh, we also see that the. Unemployment in uh, leisure and hospitality has, is, is still down considerably by any measure, however imprecise it might be. I, I think we can postulate that it's, it's down significantly versus 2019. Um, as we think about the folks that have lost their jobs um, and, and where the job losses happened, which seems to be uh, centered on small businesses, which seem to uh, disproportionately hire people from vulnerable populations as opposed to, say, your average tech company. Um, Could it be that the decrease in the small business sector is leading accordingly as a direct consequence to an increase in the unhoused sector? I mean, could could there be a straight A-B line between those those two data
3: points? It could be, although I don't think that the trend in the homelessness count um, is exactly matching the number of people who were laid off sort of within the previous year. It's possible. Yeah. It's also, I mean, you're talking about two, from the standpoint of data, two totally separate worlds in the same city. Um when the census says San Francisco's population has declined by 7%, what they mean is the number of people they can find by knocking on house doors has declined by 7%. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, the homeless population increased than the start of the pandemic. It didn't increase by, I don't know what 7% of the city, 70,000 people. So there's clearly a, a large out migration, but it's possible that what you're talking about happened. In other words, that we already know that one of the economic precariousness in San Francisco, the combination of unstable employment, high housing costs, unstable living situation, these are sort of risk factors for homelessness. And that people at the sort of margins of the labor market are often in and out of homelessness or in in informal housing situations. When you have that many people laid off for an extended period of time, you would expect to see more people going to homelessness. It's just once they're out of the census data world, they're in the homeless data world, and there are no connections between the two. Right.
1: Um, I, I get the, the challenge in, in sort of, and I guess that's why I asked the question, uh, because when you're comparing disparate samples uh, that are collected using disparate methodologies, uh, it can be hard to draw that sort of causal uh, chain um, and yet I was struck by an article in the Chronicle uh, that was talking about um, a family uh, that was living in an RV that had been working um, immediately prior uh, to the pandemic. They had been working in the leisure and hospitality sector. Um, and it certainly seemed to me, uh, as, as I thought about this demographic shift in um, who is currently suffering, uh, from being unhoused uh, that you know perhaps the, uh, the, what's happening in the small business sector could be playing a disproportionate impact on that demographic shift.
3: Yeah I think it's a very good idea it's probably right to some extent um, and it's you know the the thing I was referring to earlier about the longer run stresses on the small business sector you know point to this problem. Um, that if you don't have new business formation, and if you don't have that growth and the businesses can't grow, then you place more people in that situation. So um,
1: you mentioned, uh, and of course, I'm awaiting this with great interest because I think I've, I've pestered you about this before, uh, that your office has uh, a report that you're preparing uh, modeling a potential future impact to property tax uh, revenue and, and secondary and, and third order impacts on, on business tax, which I was very pleased to see that you took that into consideration as well. Um, do we have an ETA on, on when the actual, uh, when we'll have some numbers to look at?
3: Yeah, we're vetting the model now within the controller's office, and I'm hopeful that we'll have some numbers to present when Supervisor Stephanie calls her hearing on the item. It was because of her rec- uh, letter of inquiry that we built this model, or was it was because of it that we accelerated our, our model and tried to, okay. to, to complete it in a timely way? So we, we hope to have some numbers at that hearing. And um, as you think about that model, have,
1: you know, I I was thinking about what you said earlier about the susceptibility of the city's revenue to uh, property tax. You know, in the short term, I agree, Prop Prop 13 insulates us to a degree because um, no matter how low the property values go in the short term, they're not going below the average assessed value. Um, of course, the minute it does slip below the assessed value, uh, I guess what I start to worry about is a contagion effect. Um, does your model consider that, or, or I, I mean, because you start getting into sort of death spiral zones? I mean, which I think is—I I don't mean to use that term and, and sort of overstate the risk, but uh, you know, thinking about. Uh, you know, there's less economic activity, so there's less businesses opening, so property taxes are worth less, so there's even less reason for our, our economic activity, so there's even less businesses opening, and then people decide to start pulling out.
3: I, I would say, you know, the contagion effect comes about, if there were to be one, when people say, um, there are not enough people downtown, so it doesn't make sense for me to go downtown to work. And, and frankly, I don't think that's the dynamic now. I think the dynamic now is still, how do I get my employees to come into work? They don't want to come into work. Okay. Um, we will see if there is a recession, if the attitudes soften on behalf of tech employees who've been reluctant to come back to the office and how much the companies want to push it. It may, po- it may be we wind up in a situation where you know, tech is, has reducing employment, but a higher share of them are coming into the office. Um, You know, that could be what 2023 looks like. Um, I, you know, the the office market kind of works more on equilibrium than it works on death spirals or sort of vicious spirals. I mean, what's really going to happen is businesses thought they really valued San Francisco office space. They thought they couldn't work without everybody coming into an office having their 150 square feet, looking at somebody across the table and typing away. And they discovered during the pandemic, well, yes, they can, and their employees really prefer it this way, and they save on commuting time, and they can save on housing costs. And so now the businesses are saying, what really is the value of this office space? Um, if If they're moving to a place where they're spending at least some time in the office, then there's some value there, but the market has to find what that is. And when the market finds it, you say, okay, this tenant who took up a lot of space now only wants a little bit of space, and they're paying less for it, so I've got to go find somebody else for that space, and they're going to be hoteling and doing guest offices, and it's going to take a long time to get people to fill up that space, but that's how downtown refills in the long run. And I think that's more likely a scenario than people just say, because, the, you know, by and large, the workforce is still in the Bay Area. By and large, people are recognizing some value of office time. And, and the market just really needs to figure out how much, and then how do you fill up the rest of that space?
1: Thank you. Um,
3: another question.
1: Does the controller's office ever examine or look at, uh, possible causal factors of economic activity like uh, um, mood and sentiment about overall tax rates or uh, you know uh, you know something that you see a lot from uh, businesses that leave the city they'll, they'll invariably com- complain about either high tax rates or they'll complain about uh, street conditions or uh, elevated, uh, uh, you know the rents are too high or, or uh, you know cost of doing business in the city is too high. Do you guys track that at all and and do you have a sense of where we're at with respect to say those three issues?
3: Um, we don't generally track mood and sentiment. Um, you know the Bay Area Council did surveys like that for a while. Frequent sort of business sentiment surveys. I don't think they've done one in a while. What we've done since the start of the pandemic, because there have been several increases to business taxes in the past four years, is we looked at whether businesses that had a higher increase in their tax rate had more work from home. In other words, do they seem to be telling their employees to stay home so they can save on their taxes? Um, Thus far, the answer seems to be no. And and actually, I'm not that surprised of it because the work from home pandemic thing is like a major behavioral shift and San Francisco business taxes, they're higher certainly than in other cities, but they're not huge for most businesses in the context of the upheaval in the operations that this has caused. Mm. I think what we're more concerned about in our office is not so much, and you know, frankly, when we do economic impact reports on taxes, we always say, okay, this group that's getting tax is going to shrink because they have an incentive not to be in San Francisco, not to grow. This group that's getting the taxes is going to grow. So if you're accounting for the city's economy as a whole, you have a downside and an upside and they don't cancel each other out perfectly, but it's not you know, an enormous shift in economic activity. So, um, But one of the things that I think an economic perspective can be helpful on is to say, are you designing this tax in a way that's doing the least damage as possible for the dollars that you're getting? In other words, are there ways you could change this tax to make it less punishing of creating jobs, for example, or more predictable, um, You know, easier to understand, easier to pay? Um, and I think those things can make a difference. And I think there is probably a sentiment in the business community that the business taxes, business taxes, since now we have many of them, are are too numerous and too complex, needlessly complex, Um, and that certain taxes are just very hard to anticipate in advance. Like, for example, the CEO tax could turn into a tax for some businesses that's as big as their gross receipts tax payment, but they wouldn't know whether they had to owe it all until the end of the year when their CEO, who could be in New York, gets their bonus. <laughs> so either they could be getting a very large CEO tax payment or none, and how would they make decisions about how to do business in San Francisco? I think some businesses may be saying, um, we don't understand where, why these taxes are happening. And so it's not a particular tax, it's the fact that we're in a city where taxes seem to go up all the time and we don't know what's gonna hit us next. And it is a fairly unique feature of San Francisco of how easy it is to raise or to at least put taxes on the ballot. Of course, they do have to be approved by the voters. So all of that is a long way of saying, while we don't see evidence yet that high taxes are driving businesses to spend less time in the city um, systematically, We always say that when taxes go up, it reduces employment in the tax sector. And we do think there's a lot of features in our collective business taxes that are less efficient and could be reformed in ways that make them less damaging to the economy.
1: It's interesting that you think that. Is there a way to tap into the output of those thoughts? Is there a report or a memo or?
3: Another supervisor, Supervisor Mandelman, has asked the controller and the treasurer to jointly prepare a report on business taxes for uh, next April. And I think that that's, you know, the big contextual issues there are, you know, we have a major kind of potential shock to revenues from work from home on the business tax side. And yet, on the other hand, it's if a business wanted to avoid paying San Francisco business taxes by telling people to stay away or whatever, it's easier to do that. In other words, the San Francisco location that we used to assume businesses really valued, if they value it less, we have to think about that when we design our taxes. Right. Um, I have two brief questions for you, but uh, I see Commissioner
1: Ortiz-Cartagena is on the screen. So... Uh... Commissioner,
5: I, I JUST HAD A COMMENT BECAUSE um, REGARDING THE LATINO HOMELESS, YOU KNOW, THE PERCENTAGE AND ALSO SOMETHING YOU SAID, WHETHER LIKE THE PEOPLE HAVE THEY LEFT TO the CENTRAL VALLEY. I JUST WANT TO ADD SOME some FEEDBACK ON THAT. SO I WAS ON THE GROUND WITH THE MISSION FOOD HUB AND A LOT OF THE STRUCTURES THAT WERE IN PLACE, LIKE, YOU KNOW, Way THEY SAY REGARDING FOOD, FOOD SCARCITY, THEY DIDN'T UNDERSTAND THE MODELS OF LATINO CULTURE, ESPECIALLY THE UNDOCUMENTED, WHICH, LIKE YOU SAID IN THE SURVEY, THAT'S HOPEFULLY WHAT THEY GOT. BUT WHAT'S REALLY HAPPENING IS that one person that probably had the most financial capacity to rent or own a home in here in San Francisco, they were decimated because usually it's back of the house, housekeeping, you know, food service jobs. And they've gone, they left like to Ohio. Ohio's thriving with a Latino population right now because they cashed out their San Francisco chips and they're homeowners now, they're straight out, you know, and it's just bursting at the seams, Ohio. And that's what caused this huge increase in homelessness because traditionally we have five, six, seven families living in one household. That's where the huge increase in food scarcity because just one person that maybe had documentation or owned a home in the city creates this huge impact in this economy that you can't quantify because we're not voting, you know, we're not part of the census. But that, that scares me, and I, I did want to just point that out
1: Appreciate that. Um, related uh, to what Commissioner just said, albeit uh, tangential. Tangentially, ten, you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> tangential. All right, I struggle with that one. Uh, I, I've been thinking a lot about parklets, and uh, our parklet count is. Uh, Appears to be our, our renewal count appears to be down quite a bit, and I'm thinking a lot about the health of our our uh, restaurant sector, uh, and I'm thinking a lot about the health of the employment of that sector uh, for all the reasons that I brought up earlier, and, and that Commissioner Ortiz Cartagena mentioned just now. Um, I'm wondering, has your office at any point, I've asked versions of this question uh, to the shared spaces team, um, and there wasn't anything that anybody could point at. I've looked, I've looked for similar information in other cities, haven't been able to really find what I'm looking for. Has your office looked at the efficacy of uh, parklets in terms of their ability to either drive employment, um, drive sales taxes, um, the uh, Utility of parklets versus what was there before the parking spaces. Anything you can say about parklets in general
3: that that would be helpful? Um, it may not speak to the specific concern people have now with parklets, but we did do an economic impact report on the legislation that made parklets permanent, and it was focused on the question of um, do parklets provide a basically a net benefit to the block or is it that by taking away a parking space, you've taken away customers from the business next door and it's good for the restaurant, but it's not good for the block. And we found that it's good for the restaurant and it's good for the uh, non-restaurant businesses on the block. Um, Basically, you have more walkers, you have more foot traffic, and that makes up uh, for the lack of a parking space. Now, to be fair, during the pandemic, there were a lot of vacant parking spaces and so it wasn't too hard to find parking. So that's, a, that, that's a, an issue. And I don't know that, you know, it was also affected by the fact that you had in, in limitations on indoor dining at the time. So it was critical for restaurants to have parklets. And we may be in a world now where we, you don't have the limitations on indoor and it's an additional expense, in many ways, a greater expense and perhaps that's what's behind the decline in the interest of parklets. It's sort of excess space at a time when it's not needed. Okay. Um, Yeah, I think I would be,
1: given how much we are reliant on attracting people regionally, uh, and given the relative importance of the tourist sector uh, now versus, say, 2019, where I guess tourism as a function of GDP is is a higher percentage now than it was in, in to, to, well
3: or, the problem is because it shrank so much during the pandemic. I mean it should be a bigger percentage. Um, I,
1: it, it it seems like that let's put it this way. It seems like there's uh it's a lower hanging fruit for right. more growth. Yep. I think that's maybe yep. a better way of putting I think it. That's right. Um you know, and, and so that's my, my thoughts around, I guess, um, the question of, of parklets in general is, is their ability to uh, pluck that lower hanging fruit, help attract people from uh, uh, outside San Francisco, make, make it a more inviting place to visit and dine and, uh, you know, bring raise the attractiveness yep. factor, if you will. And I'm, I'm always hunting and looking for, I, this is sort of like a, a working, Hypothesis, and I'm always looking for the number that, or the data point, or something I can point to that says, "Aha, <laughs> here it is." Uh, hypothesis has has been uh, has empirical backing.
3: Well, I mean, I, again, as I said, our analysis said that the park parklets certainly are providing net benefit to their neighborhood, um, and I, 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 you know. To the extent that we can bring in visitors, uh, the parklets can accommodate them, certainly.
1: Yeah. Okay, one last question. Um, kind of going way off topic um, with everything I've talked about before, but uh, thinking about your graphs and the 9% drop in uh, rents uh, uh, since 2019, which is still way too high for many of our entry-level workers, which is Small Business Commission... Um, uh, I think the small business sector, I mean, uh, disproportionately employs, um, which actually, I, I don't actually know that I have empirical support for that, but it's a working presumption of mine that small business probably employs more entry-level jobs than uh, larger businesses. Um, there's two ways to to solve for that, right? Like one is you can find some way to lower the cost of housing. Uh, the other is that you can find some way to increase uh... entry-level wages uh... the challenge for the, the the small business sector seems to have always been uh... you inc- when you increase the minimum wage uh... you create an incentive to have fewer workers uh... because it's they're now it's now very expensive to have entry-level workers so you double up some of these uh, entry-level jobs uh, with higher paid uh... positions and you just try and and skate by with with fewer people um, it also seems to uh, perhaps benefit, uh, you know, like I employed my son uh, at, at my job and, and he, he has a home, uh, you know, doesn't, uh, for him it's just spending money. I think there's a material difference between paying him $17 an hour versus somebody that maybe has somebody they have to support at, at home. So I've been thinking a lot about this and I'm wondering if in your work as an economist, Have you seen anything on the wage side um, that is clever or different or unusual um, to address that delta between pay and housing um, but look at it from uh, uh, the perspective of supplying wages? And, and, I mean, you know, certainly we've heard about... uh, uh, guaranteed basic income as being one one way to do that. but I, I I can imagine that there might be others, and I'm just wondering if there's anything that you've seen or or spotted that
3: well, a guaranteed basic income can help, but it it doesn't kind of help with the labor supply question of small businesses it's kind of kind the con you know quite the reverse. Um, the We've done some work on the impacts of small business, of, of the minimum wage increase in San Francisco, we went to $15 an hour. And it was kind of along the lines of what we said at the time in 2014 when the voters approved it, which is most of the small business, most of the sectors that pay minimum wage are growing. We think they'll grow more slowly as a result of this, but there'll be additional wage income for those, for those workers. Um, You know, San Francisco had two sort of giant steps of the minimum wage when we first, in 2003, I believe, uh, approved the first local minimum wage. There was a big increase in the number of people making around minimum wage and a big increase in wages. And the same thing was true in 2014. But the market wage, particularly during periods of growth, quickly caught up, and now I would imagine for most small businesses, the minimum wage is not a huge concern because they're not really finding people available at the minimum wage. Um, And that it's less of a pressure than it was in 2014 when it was a major, uh, it was a major increase. Um, If there was uh, a lot of growth and demand for the small business sector, you could say, well, we could solve the problem by raising the minimum wage again and putting it well above the market wage and sort of using the, using the employer to sort of funnel money through to the to the low wage worker. It's hard to see sectors with what we've seen in the leisure and hospitality sector that could really take a big wage increase at this point um, above the market wage where it's, it's difficult enough for them to make it. Um, so I think where that frankly leaves us from a perspective of at least the stability of the small business sector is, um, is actually transportation is the other thing is, yes, you can reduce the cost of housing. You can try, yes, you can raise wages, you can try to do that, or you can improve accessibility to jobs in San Francisco from places where housing is cheaper and people are more able to afford it. Um, and, And frankly, I think given the trends we've seen in low income people either moving out of San Francisco or becoming homeless after the pandemic, during the pandemic, I, I frankly think when all's said and done, and we'll have the census data soon, we're going to see a lot more low wage workers who work in San Francisco living in the East Bay. And that's, you know, it wasn't that way in the past uh, decade. Most restaurant workers, for example, lived in San Francisco. I don't know if that will still be the case uh, after the recession.
1: So it it seems like, so to be explicitly clear, I'm not advocating for increasing or lowering uh, minimum wage. Um, My question was totally outside the realm of minimum wage and just wondering what other levers might be available, because um, that often seems to be uh, one that people go for. And then also we talk about the cost of housing, and that's also something that, that people like to talk about. But it occurs to me that there's, there's or, or it seems to me that, that there's probably more inputs that we can adjust than just that and that there are probably policy options we haven't yet availed ourselves of that could potentially meaning meaningfully impact that. Um, but going back to what you just said, you mentioned uh, one of the things that we suffer from, and every uh, business owner here knows this very well, is, is the labor shortage. One of the reasons one can imagine there'd be a labor shortage is not many people want to commute 45 minutes for essentially a, a, a minimum wage job, um, even if it's a, compared to the rest of the country, a fairly well-paid minimum wage job. Um, it's still uh, perhaps more attractive to just not commute 45 minutes each way. So it's like, okay, how do we solve for more um, entry-level local jobs, it seems like you have to make the jobs more attractive. Wage is obviously a big input into that. But, you know, like I said, there's second order, third order impacts. As you mentioned, there's not room in in the the, uh, leisure and hospitality sector to increase the minimum wage. So I'm just wondering, I I was wondering if there was some other thing that we haven't discussed or, or, or... or considered on, on, on a policy level here in the city? And I know that was a really long comment, but...
3: Well, all I would say is um, uh, reducing the cost of housing by by removing barriers to building housing would work. Um, yeah. Improving uh, transportation so it doesn't take 45 minutes to get from Oakland to your job in San Francisco would work. Um, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, again, I th- I'm concerned that it's, a, it's kind of a long run vulnerability for San Francisco. To come back to the vibrancy thing we were talking about earlier, the pleasure of being in San Francisco as a resident helped make San Francisco a tech center. If, if, if that, but, but that's from the consumer side. From the producer side, you're talking about a small business where you had a good time. And if it doesn't work as a small business, you don't have a good time. And then the whole thing falls apart. So, um, yeah, it's a a major issue. It's a major issue.
1: Well, Ted, um, as usual, we're extremely grateful for you taking uh, the time to speak with us. Uh, We're going to check in on on public comment and see if there is any.
0: I don't see any public comment online.
1: Uh, Check in on the room. Any public comment in the room? No, don't see any public comment. So, Ted, uh, been very generous with your time. Thank you for chatting with us all this time. Wait, wait. Um,
0: Sorry, somebody did just raise their hand.
1: Okay, somebody raised their hand. So we'll, we'll let the person On, make, public, <laughs> make public comment. Caller, please proceed.
7: So, commissioners, um, one of the things that uh, you commissioners should know is that we have 61,000 homes vacant in San Francisco. And um, as a small commission, uh, y'all have to pay attention to our housing element. And what y'all can do to keep San Franciscans in San Francisco. Another empirical data, over 80,000 families have left San Francisco. And our mayor doesn't seem to care about it. The other factor for empirical data is there's a big developer close to State University who wants to build 32,000 condominiums while just next to that uh, project, 1,000 condominiums are vacant. And I know I've spoken before to the commission and uh, it's, uh, it's okay to bring an economist who, will, uh, who practically said, you know, uh, let people live in the East Bay and work uh, and work in San Francisco if they can. No, no. We should think outside the box. We should keep San Franciscans in San Francisco. The problem is our mayor doesn't address quality of life issues. She encourages centers where people can go and do drugs for whatever reason that's known to her. For those who have lived in the city for 20, 30, 40 years, we never ever saw so many tents on our streets. We never ever saw so many people doing drugs in our streets. And all this
1: impacts our tourists. No tourist wants to go to a place and be assaulted and see the filth and the stench that we see in San Francisco. Thank you for your comments, sir. I, I apologize. We only, we, uh, each public commenter gets three minutes. Thank you, sir. Is there any other public comment? There are none. Okay. Ted, thank you so much. Appreciate you coming in. Next item, please.
0: Item 3, SF New Deal presentation, this is a discussion item and the Commission will hear a presentation from San Francisco New Deal, re- reviewing the results of their report, Current and Future Challenges, the Small Business Landscape in San Francisco. Today we have Simon Bertrand, Executive Director, and Jacob Bidman, Chief Programs Officer with the San Francisco New Deal presenting.
1: Simon and Jacob, welcome. Thank you. Sorry um, for keeping you so long, but
8: it was a very interesting presentation so we're we're happy to be here i'm having trouble finding where the ah oh, here no? how do we, how do i present i okay. should view so you don't full screen mode there you go yes thank you Good afternoon. Um, My name is Simon Bertrang. I'm the executive director of SF New Deal. Uh, I've been executive director for just a few months, so I'm joined by both Jacob, uh, who's the chief program officer, and Janae Zarlin, who's our chief impact officer. Uh, And bear with me, uh, because when it comes time for questions, I'm going to really defer to them, because they have for two years now been been working with SF New Deal uh, and uh, put together this survey. Uh, of um, small businesses that I'm going to present to you today. Uh, first of all, uh, I know that we have in the past presented to the Small Business Commission, but I think that there are a lot of new commissioners uh, since then, so I wanted to, to uh, review briefly the mission of SF New Deal. We were founded in March 2020 to provide support services and financial opportunities to small businesses. Uh, And we do that by addressing both the symptoms and root causes of inequity by building pathways which connect small business owners, workers, community leaders, and neighbors in need for the benefit of the entire city. As of October 9th, we have dispersed $35 million to 655 small businesses and distributed over 3.1 million meals to people experiencing food insecurity. Uh, At the moment, we are working both privately and in partnership with city agencies to serve small businesses and our communities. Our current city contracts uh, are with Human Services Agency, um, SF Environment, and OEWD uh, across all of our program areas, including um, some shared spaces equity grants that we're involved with. But Today, I want to talk to you about the micro grant debt relief program that we um, gave out $2,500 micro grants to small businesses, over 600 applicants, uh, and we awarded 400 grants, uh, representing a broad and diverse cross section of all 11 supervisorial districts. Uh, and in return, uh, we asked the small businesses to fill out, uh, to, to work with us to, to uh, respond to a survey. I want I know that the Small Business Commission and the Office of Small Business is engaged its own survey uh, that's currently open uh, and I wanted to make um, clear that the businesses that we really targeted in in this survey I think are a, a, a interesting subsection subset uh, subset of uh, San Francisco small businesses 85% of the businesses uh, selected for the grant employed five or fewer workers. Uh, AND IN GENERAL, THE PROGRAMS AT SF NEW DEAL uh, TARGET really uh, BUSINESSES WITH 20 OR FEWER EMPLOYEES. AND WE REFER TO THAT AS REALLY NEIGHBORHOOD BUSINESSES. I KNOW THAT THE the CITY DEFINITION IS 100 OR FEWER EMPLOYEES. THE FEDERAL DEFINITION IS 500 OR FEWER, I THINK. Um, BUT REALLY WHAT WE'RE TALKING ABOUT IS THE BUSINESSES THAT ARE REALLY the economic heart of the city, but also really the cultural heart of all of our neighborhoods. So they really this, serve this dual function of economic vibrancy and cultural vibrancy, the, the kinds of businesses that people relied on during the pandemic um, as they were working uh, from home. Uh, and in addition, 96% of owners and operators uh, are from, of the grant recipients, uh, were from systematically under resourced groups that experienced the greatest barriers. Uh, of access to capital and opportunities, including uh, all of them identified at least one of the categories of BIPOC immigrants, LGBTQ+, and women. So the key findings: we we surveyed the the 400. I mean, we granted the we did the micro grants uh, for the 400 small businesses, and we had 30 351 responses. Uh, and we had a couple of key findings, and I want to review. Uh, there's a 40-page small business report which we shared, I believe, with the commission. We, we shared it with the director of the Office of Small Business. We're sharing it with supervisors. Uh, we're, we're trying to share it widely. Uh, but some of the most compelling uh, pieces of information that come out of the survey uh, has to do with the income uh, that small businesses are receiving. Uh, 67% of grantees reported earning less than $25,000 in 2020, and that's anywhere from zero to $25,000, because many of them actually earned no income. In terms of debt, um, three quarters, 77% of grantees reported carrying debt. 30% have debt of $150,000 or more. And a third have uh, debt from more than one creditor. And 37% reported accumulating the the accumulation of this debt uh, as their single biggest challenge. And of course, in terms of demand, uh, this was a, a period in which uh, 73% of grantees, not surprisingly, uh, reported large decreases in demand uh, for their goods and services uh, during the pandemic. So it, it's really a, 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 a kind of a bleak landscape in terms of this, this what small businesses were facing. Uh, as will not come, it will not come as a surprise to these commissioners. But uh, just in terms of the uh, amount of income that is generated from the small businesses, the amount of debt they're carrying, and uh, facing a period of of decreased demand for for those goods and services. A couple of charts to um, uh, illustrate the the points I made uh, in the in the last slide uh, uh, in a different way. You'll see the graph on the left side uh, shows the percent of grantees. Um, who uh, uh, the, the the business owner income responses. So again, you'll see 66 percent, two thirds of small businesses reported making less than twenty five thousand um, dollars. Kind of following on to the conversation uh, with the city economist, uh, a full time worker earning minimum wage would have an annual income of thirty five thousand dollars. So th- the small business owners, in in, in uh, just despite the challenges, they are. Um, they are facing, they often were paying themselves less uh, than, the, uh, the, than the amount they were paying uh, their workers. And in fact, on the right side, you can see mostly what the, confirming what the city economists, economists said, most of the employees of small businesses actually are making, were making more than minimum wage. So, in order to, to get the labor, uh, small business owners had to, had to pay more than the minimum wage. And of course, a living wage in the Bay Area at the time would have been at least $64,000. So. A disconnect between the income um, from small business owners to small business owners uh, and, and the uh, amount of money uh, that it takes to live in the city. Uh, in addition, the debt um, you can see uh, again, a quarter of businesses have no debt, but um, on the left side, you can see uh, that the categories of, of debt, um, and we estimate that. The combined total debt of the 351 survey businesses was um, between 30 and 55 million dollars. Um, on the right side, you can see the source uh, or the, the 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 money that they owed to to the entity to which they owed the money, uh, and that kind of that reflects a little bit um, the the period uh, that the survey took place, where the federal government was a really a tremendous source of 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 um, of loans uh, through the Paycheck Paycheck Protection Program and and others. Um, And we see um, that increasingly that federal government is not going to be there to um, provide that backstop going forward. Uh, And so increasingly uh, uh, the small business owners are relying on other sources of of credit, uh, including some. Uh, we've personally experienced some businesses who have had to uh, personally guarantee their loans uh, and in fact the combination of not being able to draw a lot of income from their businesses and the accumulating debt sort of um, uh, suggests that they may be facing personal bankruptcy if if conditions do not improve in San Francisco so one of the Two things that I wanted to identify is, uh, and, you know, again, the report identifies a a number of needs and challenges, but we wanted to pull out two of them. Uh, 47% of small business owners surveyed identified finance and accounting services as their greatest need, and they believed, and what they would believe would be most helpful uh, for the future success of their business. And interestingly, uh, or sort of surprisingly, 51% of surveyed businesses reported not being comfortable reading and understanding cash flow statements and budgets and so we saw a real need uh, uh, for businesses to support businesses in that because as you can imagine uh, uncertainty and and um, and a uh, inability to to read basic cash flow statements and budgets does make it difficult for the business to project their their business in the future and to, to get out of that uh, debt situation uh, and then Uh, THE KEY CHALLENGE THAT WE HAVE IDENTIFIED, WE we ASKED BUSINESSES TO RANK CHALLENGES uh, THAT THEY CONFRONTED SINCE THE START OF THE PANDEMIC AND AGAIN CALLING OUT uh, THAT 41% OF SMALL BUSINESS OWNERS SURVEYED SHOWS HIRING AND STAFFING IS THEIR PRIMARY CONCERNS. A COUPLE OF CHARTS TO to REITERATE the, THE CHALLENGES POINT AS WELL. YOU CAN SEE THE TOP CHALLENGES BEFORE THE PANDEMIC, HIRING AND STAFFING, PROFITABILITY AND DEBT, SAFETY AND STREET CLEANLINESS. Uh, the top challenges going forward uh, since the start of the pandemic, equally the top three challenges, but it's been joined also by transportation uh, as a concern. And then in, in, uh, on the left side, you can see a pie chart that, where we asked businesses to identify uh, challenges. And I think uh, rather than reading through them all, I think what I wanted to identify was that uh, businesses are seeing a host of challenges, and it, it, it was... Uh, In some ways, not every, uh, there wasn't a single challenge that was emerging, uh, but they they were identifying that there were going to be tremendous challenges across the board. Uh, And then on the right side, we see that um, businesses are very uh, pessimistic about the recovery and are worried that it is uh, going to take more than a year uh, for the, the economy to recover. And that sort of tracks with what we're seeing or what we saw in the presentation from the City Economist as well. So last slide, Um, wanted to, you know, and again, there's probably a dozen sort of actions recommended in the SF New Deal small business uh, report, but I wanted to call out four, uh, that I think um, we are interested in partnering with city agencies and district supervisors uh, to bring both public and private resources to bear uh, in order to one, uh, pilot programs to connect small businesses with professional services, including bookkeeping, financial, legal, marketing, and business development at either low or no cost and prioritizing uh, those businesses most at risk for imminent closure. Two, to expand on a pilot that we did in 2021 uh, to improve employee retention, advancement opportunities, and organizational culture for owners and workers. And what that meant is we, uh, we piloted a program that uh, brought uh, management training to mid-level managers in small businesses and also uh, did a, um, a, uh, a dual-language um, program to uh, focused on Spanish and English to allow better communication within small businesses. Um, and we felt that uh, those programs uh, bore fruit in terms of Helping to build the organizational culture that allowed uh, business, small businesses to retain and it, and provide advancement for for workers. Three, distribute public transit vouchers for small business workers in order to in, enable improved intra Bay Area hiring. So again, we we foresee many of the the workers, the workforce for small businesses, um, moving to the East Bay or, or out of the city, and we feel that you know to to improve hiring, we're, we're going to have to. Figure out how to subsidize that um, that that commute and encourage that commute, uh, and for uh, creating incentive programs that support entrepreneurs to look at starting new businesses in otherwise vacant storefronts. And we're in some discussions, initial discussions with OAWD, potentially to partner uh, to do exactly that in the downtown area. So, I think I want to end it there. And uh, again, uh, thank you and my colleagues and I are available for
1: questions. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm sure, we're all going to have a lot to say. Uh, Commissioner Carter, you're first.
6: Thank you so much for the presentation. Um, I just want to speak on behalf of, of my business, um, which I want to applaud SF New Deal you guys were a lifeline for small businesses like myself during the pandemic we would not have survived without um without sf new deal particularly so thank you um it also provided a diversity of meals um for food security i can't speak enough how much people came in and just was so appreciative of it and even when you guys um transitioned to the vouchers you guys were a lifeline to small business and to community here in san francisco and i applaud your work thank you
1: thank you commissioner Ortiz carchehena
5: i want to add to that like especially around the food scarcity during the pandemic you know the latino task force we were on the forefront and we realized a lot of people didn't even have places to cook the food we were given. So, partnership with you and just having you as a resource was was amazing. Um, regarding your presentation, it's refreshing. And, and first of all, I, I work with some of your staff on the ground, and and they get it. They're mobile. They're this is what we need: a CBO organization that that you know that is not another bureaucratic arm of the city, but moves, moves. I actually founded an organization in 2020 that specifically. Targets just small business technical assistance. So we were out with Calle 24, and we were doing the shared space program. And again, fast, right? Because small business moves fast. We can't wait a month to speak an audience with some embassy of some nonprofit. So thank you for that. Um, regarding your report, the accounting portion, I did a similar report for the Latino Task Force. And yes, small business accounting—that's really the Achilles heel whether we're selling widgets, pupusas, tacos, we're a nanny business, and I like that you really recognize that because not reading a cash flow statement in, in my community, is actually inflated real estate markets for property owners because our businesses go in without having a proper business plan, understanding cash flow, and they're paying more per square foot because their business plan or their cash flow is, I'm going to just work harder. AND THEY WASTE OR SPEND THEIR LIFE SAVINGS. THEY CO-SIGN PERSONALLY, RIGHT, SO that PUTS THEM IN PERSONAL OBLIGATIONS THAT HAVE GENERATIONAL WEALTH IMPACTS. SO I LOVE WHEN I SEE THIS DATA BECAUSE THIS IS WHAT WE NEED, RIGHT, LIKE SOME NEW THOUGHT, SOME REALLY ON THE GROUND, AND ACCOUNTING IN ALL THIS ASPECTS IS, is GREAT. And, AND THE DEBT, RIGHT, 30 TO 50 MILLION imagine that's that's a that's nothing for a city like us right percentage wise imagine if our small business didn't have to service that debt that should be a program right let's wipe out our small business debt so thank you thank you all i love i love your team i love your organization thank
1: you uh commissioner Huey.
4: i agree i really am blown away by how um how much your program has grown and where it started from and I mean, it was really just in a time of need that you know you responded. So thank you very much for um, for all of that. Um, just a couple of things on my list. One is um, thinking a little bit about technical services. I think um, you know going forward, what I've noticed is that the technical service um, services really kind of need to come to the business itself, which changes the way that we've kind of done technical service, perhaps pre-pandemic. We kind of thought, like, okay, well, we're going to offer this thing, and it's out there. Whether it's utilized or not is kind of, like, you know, not really the goal, right? But, like, now really shifting and thinking about, you know, technical services, it can't even be, like, a hub any longer, right? Even if your community has a hub, it's still not enough, because if you look at somebody who's making... 0 to $23,000 a year running a small business where is that time going to be you know to be able to get to this hub to make this workshop so i think thinking about like resourcing in terms of how to actually have an impact like within the community i think means that we need to have more one on one kind of servicing within that person's business and that is going to be a lot of legwork but i think that's where we're going to see a lot of growth and like dividends, right, like in, um, it, like expo- exponential kind of equity growth. So um, that's kind of been something that I've just seen a lot of, like, in our neighborhoods, right, and, um, and I'm hoping that as we move forward and talk about putting in more into the technical service side that it's actually going to go into the business itself. Um, the other piece was, like, yeah, I'm totally blown away by how, like, Even if we just help people with something like cash flow. I mean, cash flow is something that I feel like for many, um, I I don't know. I've noticed this in a lot of um, longstanding um, businesses in even in in many communities. But I'm going to say specifically in kind of like more of the immigrant communities that I've seen, people kind of think about production or success in how hard they work or how busy they are like that's kind of the measurement that they use like their key performance indicator is that I came home and I was I saw a lot of customers and I was really busy and you know we're just see I mean they'll, they'll go an entire lifetime and be able to pay a lot of bills that way but I think going into succession planning and looking into the future of businesses I think to shore up those businesses so that they have something to be able to um pass Down or sell or do whatever they want to do with, there needs to be some kind of support for that transition to really put it into a a metric that they can value, you know, and also like keep them, get them more profitable. I think that's kind of low hanging fruit. Um, The other piece was um, the organizational culture. I think. reading articles and knowing this ourselves is that you know as newer generations of workers and people coming out into the workforce they're all going to need more like more support i mean i see it in our students and as our students start to come into our workforce and so like looking at um the cost of doing business we've talked about wages already but there's so much more right we're talking about transportation we're talking about all these other things I'm wondering if there are perhaps ways that we can kind of pull together resources to be able to offer other types of um, benefits for, for the newer kind of workforce. Because it's not that they want to work less or that they don't have the work ethic, but there are way more pressures on people coming into the workforce today, I think, emotionally. And, and there's like a you know like you were talking about the communication gap I mean that itself creates a whole barrier for people to be able to have a successful work life so I think um, as a small business sector we clearly don't have the deep pockets to be able to pay for these things individually however if we were to be able to advocate for some of those things on a larger level um, perhaps like mental health care or other types of even healthcare access um, might be something that would be helpful for all of us. So those are just some of my thoughts, Um, less question perhaps. So thank you very much.
1: Thank you, Commissioner Huey. Commissioner Ortiz Cartagena, or I'm sorry, did you wanna respond to that? No, I
8: I guess I just wanted to say thank you for all the the comments and the uh, the support and um, one of the things I think has been key to the success of SF New Deal is the fact that we, we have a call center that uh, people can call and actually get a real-life person, and they can solve your problem. And it's a it's a, a call center where they speak four languages, so I think you know, including English, English, Spanish, Cantonese, and Mandarin. So I think that there's a the version of um, the uh, the vision of going into businesses and to to really um, uh, trying to to meet businesses where they are I think are, is the key and I think part of that is a is speaking people's language as well so I think uh, but thank you uh, commissioners for your support and ideas. Thank I, you. I Come just on.
5: want to add because Commissioner Huey comes up with awesome ideas and awesome comments and and coming to the business that's like the new wave right like at at my organization you know our motto is like Service them like if they owe you money. So we're like behind the kitchens, filling out grants and stuff. So when you say that, it's just like that's the new model. And since your organization is, you know, keep that in mind because that's the new way to service right now, right? You have to go where the business is. No more workshops. No more, you know. No, that's not how real business works. That's how CBOs, nonprofits, and city agency works. But that's not how we work. We 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 work different. So thank you for that. That's love it love it.
1: Commissioner Carter.
6: Yeah just one last thing I even want to applaud you guys for even social media you guys are just really good across the board at understanding small business like you guys be highlighting all type of stuff like you're great. (laughs) Thank you.
1: Thank you. So um, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of when the first time I heard about SF New Deal, it was probably, uh, you were founded in March of 2020, and I think you came before the commission, maybe April or, or May, it was really, really early. Um, and I said, uh, effectively, I, I thought it was genius. Um, and I still think that. Um, the. The lines that you drew between where the need was um, and how to help facil- facilitate those needs. And now we have a commissioner uh, here who's a, a direct beneficiary of, uh, of the work you did. Uh, you know, I, we need so much more of that in this city, drawing, drawing these lines between these disparate nodes uh, of, of need. Um, because there's so much opportunity and so much potential, we just need to connect the circuits. Um, so first of all, thank you so much for connecting those circuits. Um, thank you, all of you and, and the rest of your team uh, for what you've done for the small business community. I think it's it's really uh, extraordinary and uh, you, we need more of it and more like it. So thank you. Uh, You know, your stat on 51% not knowing how to read their books. When I started my business, I was a high school graduate. I didn't even know how Excel worked, um, let alone how to read a a financial statement. Um, That was 20 years ago. Um, Obviously, I've grown the business, or maybe not obviously, but I've grown the business quite a bit since then. And... and, uh, Now it seems like I live a portion of my life in Excel statements, but um, that resonates with me that so many business owners don't know how to read their books. Um, And I have said repeatedly, um, until I'm blue in the face, this commission has heard me say this repeatedly until I'm blue in the face, that... Uh, the biggest untapped resource right now for small businesses is the employee retention credit, which can um, deliver up to twenty six thousand dollars per employee that they retained. I continue to believe that we have at least a, at least hundreds of millions, if not over a billion dollars of untapped opportunity for our local small businesses, and the biggest barrier to tapping that resource is lack of access to uh bookkeeping advice in in filling out this needlessly complicated um, tax uh requirements that that the federal government has created to to in order for people to get the erc which by the way commissioner have you been able to get an erc yet or look into it at all okay all right case in point we've talked about this it's very very hard uh, to to get people over that, uh, and I didn't mean to bring your personal tax business. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but um, I'll I'll be interrogating each of you about your personal taxes for uh, the hearing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I mean I've seen it make make a huge impact. Uh, so I completely agree that there's um, a, a, a huge opportunity there and um, anything that we can do to facilitate that. Um, in trying to get the city to do this directly, I've learned that there's challenges in terms of having the city advocate or speak for uh, particular vendors um, in, in terms of being able to distribute money, um, even with a, an RFP, with getting involved in people's uh, taxes has a lot of, uh, as you might imagine, a, a lot of liability concerns. Um, so, uh, and then yet, while driving here today to this commission, as I'm pulling into the garage, I hear a radio, a radio ad come on saying, small businesses, uh, you could get your tax refund. And it was like taxrefund.com. Uh, but, but they were talking about the ERC, 26000 per employee and i know i have a feeling that if i go and click on it they're going to want fifteen percent or twenty percent some like outrageous amount like they're going to get paid you know uh, for every twenty six thousand that the business should get they're going to get ten thousand and and this company is going to get sixteen thousand or or something like that um so i think that that's a really ripe area for um nonprofits to play a, a you know, the kind of role that nonprofits should play. Um, so your survey, I think, really sh- uh, shines a crystal light on that on a particular uh, segment, which is is the micro-businesses. And, and it's very hard to get uh, access to these businesses because they're small and, and um, they don't have a lot of staff. And, and we know, uh, through doing our own survey on the commission, how challenging that is with the incredible work that Professor Chowdhury and and Uh, Commissioner Huey have done so thank you for for looking at at that particular question Um, in the detail that you did we are going to be able to use that information and help advocate for some of these policies that we need to see the other thing uh, that came up for me um, listening to your presentation was that transportation is now an emerging top concern Um, how apropos that we just had the city's controller uh, tell us that uh, perhaps the, the lowest hanging fruit for uh, driving small spe- sector, small business sector growth is uh, since it's so challenging to lower housing prices and since there's no more room to raise minimum wage is to bring in more workers via transportation. And yet he also said um the current transportation um, paradigm that we currently have of 30 percent utility is not sustainable. Uh and so I think this idea of uh vouchers to help workers uh from other areas get here more efficiently um, and cheaper, uh to me that seems like a, a policy area that's ripe for further exploration. Um and and to that end, I, I um, spoke to some, some of the folks in the transportation sector via uh, technology while you were uh, chit-chatting, uh, and I plan to uh, follow up on that, um, uh, hopefully with all of you, uh, because uh, uh, it, it seems to me that's a, a really incredibly powerful idea uh, that could we just heard literally from the city's chief economist that this is one of the ripest areas for for, uh, growing our city, growing our economy, growing our uh, employment in the um, most disadvantaged sector, um, and uh, helping our our small businesses uh, recover. Um, So this, this is what happens when people take the time to ask questions and actually find out Um, what's actually happening um, and maybe take a couple minutes to think about like what are some things that we could actually do that would be constructive Um, I know you were here uh, for all the first part uh, when we spoke with the controller I'm sure you have a few ideas of your own Um, I I, I wanted to invite you to just have the floor if there's anything that's coming up for you or anything you want to talk about or, or you know, no pressure, but uh, uh, I, I, I did want to make that time available to you because I think so highly of the work that you guys do.
8: I mean, I think um, it was really interesting to hear the city economist because so much of what he was talking about resonated with what we, were, we learned from our survey. So it's, it's, it's good to, to think that um, multiple strands of information are, are leading us to um, hopefully some, some good policy solutions. Um, I don't think I'm sensing no comments from Jacob and Janae, and um, I guess I would just say uh, I forgot at the beginning to say uh, thank you, President Liguana and uh, all the commissioners for inviting us here today to to present on this, and I hope that uh, we're going to have cause to come back to you uh, regularly in the future and and report on, on what we're doing and what we might partner together on.
1: Well, since I can't put you on the spot publicly, I will pester you privately. (laughs) Um, Thank you very much for coming in. Uh, We have to check in for public comment before you can go. So is there any public comment on the line?
0: We have one
1: caller on the line. Caller, please proceed.
7: So this presentation was one of the best presentations I have seen where the needs assessment done for small businesses was done in a manner where they saw that those businesses having less than five employees were uplifted. Now, what has the city learned from it? What we see with the Mayor's Office of Economic Development is, and I'm an advocate, and I've been an advocate for 40 years. I'm the Director of Environmental Justice Advocacy. And I have a nonprofit. I worked at the Presidio, I ran the Presidio, so I used those talents to help people. At the Presidio, I could give jobs. I can't give jobs here, but I can give some jobs to some of the businesses that I know. But it's a shame that thousands of small businesses folded in San Francisco. And um, the city per se couldn't do anything, and that's a new deal is uh, the shining star, and all we do is um, place them. But the city should now, with the infrastructure bill. Uh, invest in San Francisco New Deal because they can make things happen, because they are into action. They walk the walk, the city that talks the talk. Thank you very much.
0: There are no other public commenters on the line.
1: Great. Thank you. Seeing no more, public comment is closed. Uh, folks, thanks for coming in. Uh, really appreciate it. Appreciate all the work you do. If there's anything we can do in the future going forward, don't hesitate to let us know. Thank you very much for presenting to us today. Thanks for having us. Next item.
0: Item four, approval of draft meeting minutes. This is a discussion and action item.
1: Uh, commissioners, uh, have you had an opportunity, hopefully you've had an opportunity to review the draft meeting minutes. Comm- commish- go ahead. Commissioner Ortiz-Cartana.
5: I just want to, I think it's a, I don't know if it's a typo or just a clarification. In um, second, second, uh, a second second sentence of six, it says Abe. I don't know if it should be ape, the abbreviation, same with seven on sentence four, Abe, should it be ape?
6: Oh,
0: <laughs> noted.
5: it
1: any other uh, comments seeing none is there any public comment on the draft meeting minutes there is none that's fun uh, seeing none public comment is closed. And, uh, Commissioners, do we have a motion?
4: I make a motion to approve the draft minutes with the additions. I'll second it.
0: Motion by Commissioner Huey, seconded by Commissioner Carter. I'll read the roll, Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Dickerson? Yes. Commissioner Herbert? Yes. Commissioner Huey? Yes. President Laguana? Yes. Commissioner ortiz cartagena Yes. Vice President Zasunis is absent. Motion passes.
1: Great. Next item, please.
0: Item five, general public comment. This is a discussion item allowing members of the public to comment generally on matters that are within the Small Business Commission's jurisdiction, but not on today's calendar, and suggest new agenda items.
1: Is there any members of the public who would like to make comments on items not on the agenda?
0: We have no commenters.
1: Okay, seeing none, public comment is closed. Next item, please.
0: Item six, commissioner
1: discussion and new business. This is a discussion item. Commissioners, any new business? Uh, All right, so I'll go. Uh, This, oh, Commissioner ortiz Cartana.
5: I was just going to report back some stuff. Yeah, go, please, Um, by all means. Last week, Commissioner Hugh and I attended the Mission Economic Development Agency's gala. Mayor, ton of elected officials, appointed officials there. We had a blast. We laughed. We advocated for small business. Um, today, I was with the mayor and several elected officials, police chief, um, regarding her new cultural ambassador ad to the cultural ambassador program, similar to what's going on with Urban Alchemy and the Tenderloin. WE'RE SUPER EXCITED IN THE MISSION BECAUSE THIS IS NOT POLICING, BUT IT IS ADDRESSING THE QUALITY OF LIFE ISSUES. SO THE MAYOR DOES CARE, YOU KNOW, and SHE'S EVEN EXPLORING NEW OPTIONS AND BEING CREATIVE. SO WE'RE SUPER THRILLED BECAUSE WE'RE GOING TO HAVE PEOPLE THAT LOOK LIKE US IN OUR NEIGHBORHOODS TAKING CARE OF US. SO THIS IS A NEW PARADIGM. THIS IS A NEW MODEL. LIKE ALWAYS, SAN FRANCISCO, AND THANK YOU TO THE MAYOR FOR BEING BOLD AND, and showing her leadership
1: great I love that Commissioner Huey
4: just wanted to thank Commissioner William Ortiz Cartagena for the invitation to the meta event (laughs) it was a really wonderful event and I had a lot of um, fun meeting so many um, so many people that I actually kind of knew in other ways but didn't know that they were connected to all that all the work, so it was wonderful. And um, prior to that event, I um, was able to also jump into the San Francisco Council of District Merchants um, Gala event as well. Uh, And at the event, I believe, I was not there during this time, but I believe that Art Walk SF was recognized. So I just wanted to recognize um, my co-founders and um, partners who have been um, producing Art Walks throughout the city for the last year. And um, we have a couple more coming up. Yes, we do, we have a couple more coming up and uh, they should be really fun events. So in the Excelsior as well as Bayview. Um, so hopefully we'll all get you guys all the dates and, um, and you can come out. So, you know, they've been working really hard and thank you very much for that. And I might remember something else later. <laughs>
1: you. Okay, you. Okay, we can come back to you. Commissioner Carter.
6: I just also want to applaud um, Mayor Breed and in, in her efforts to um, to support small business. I think she is actually trying. I think it's a it's a huge issue, obviously in San Francisco that that, that j- didn't just come <laughs> regarding downtown San Francisco. I also like to applaud Urban Alchemy for their work. Um, I'm actually in the Tenderloin, and I see it every day. Um, when I get out the car, they're making sure that the streets is clean and that. I'm able to walk in and out from work. So um, it's not an easy job, but I actually do see people actually trying, and I think it's up to all of us um, to be creative <laughs> and try to find solutions. But I just want to applaud everybody that's actually um, trying.
2: <laughs> Thank you. Commissioner Dickerson. I am. I was at the gala, I didn't see you all. <laughs> I did see you. I did see you. Um, But everyone that I did see looked great, um, and that was a lot of fun. Um, But I want to give a huge shout out to, uh, I'm so glad we're on the same page with Mayor London Breed. Uh, I mean, her support for small businesses. not only that, she also supports them by uh, patronizing these businesses as well. So I am uh, in full support of how she has been. I think that she's doing an amazing job under the circumstances i mean i think this would have been a hard job for anybody um, but i think um she was she's definitely the right one for the job right woman for the job so um but i uh want to give a huge shout out i am over excited i want to give a shout out to um, president shaman walton and Maryland and breed and luckies you gets a luckies <laughs> woo, I don't know about you, but we've had a food desert and um, very limited resources to fresh food, and that's a big deal, especially with what I do as a business um, health and fitness practice. I'm always referring uh, different types of foods and alternative foods um, for um, health needs, and so to have Lucky's, um, we now have a Lucky's Bayview, and they have intentionally hired locally from the bayview community um and uh we will be having the grand opening this wednesday we get a preview tomorrow that there's then there's the grand opening that's happening um 10 a.m wednesday so uh, there's i know there's going to be a huge turnout for that so i just want to give a shout out um for that that's a big deal in bayview um so yay luckies. <laughs> thank you commissioner
1: carter
6: yeah, just to piggyback off that, we are, as a Bayview native, we are so excited to see Luckys come. And they did it the right way. They really involved community. Not only are they hiring local, it's a lot of local small businesses that will be on those shelves. So I want to applaud them for really um, keeping community in mind. Um, and, and it actually, I think, will make things a lot different. When you're going into a store and you're seeing products, um, from community, so a lot of people are excited. Um, my mom's house is actually like a block away, so I'm happy to see her <laughs> be able to go there and not um, the other grocery store. We'll see how that works out, but <laughs> but we are we are very excited, and it's a great um, addition to Bayview.
1: Great, um, you know, uh, I'll just add I, I was at the CDMA gala. I was delighted to see a lot of people there. I didn't see you, but um, I... uh, What? Yeah, we were all at the gala. Hey, listen, don't feel bad, because apparently all of you all were at the Meta Gala, and I don't know, maybe... uh, Let's just put it this way. I'd be delighted to attend next year if somebody sends me an invitation. I'd I'd love to go, but... uh, It sounds like uh, uh, it it was a great event. I was, uh, yeah, I wish I'd been there. But uh, uh, the CDMA gala, uh, you know, maybe this, uh, whether it's appropriate or not, holy smokes, Commissioner Dickerson, wow. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that dress, my wife is still talking about it. that that was I, I mean she put the gala in gala like it, it basically wasn't the word gala until she walked in she it was dressed to the nice and your husband too uh, the first time yeah yeah no not bad yeah yeah. well next time don't make me look so bad by comparison um oh uh, that was uh, incredible uh and i i, I feel I would be remiss if we didn't mention the, um, uh, you know, there was All Out SF last week, which was an event my friend and former small business commissioner, Manny Yakutiel, helped organize. Um, heard from him earlier today that uh, uh, attracted over, I think it was a couple thousand people to the various events, lots of outreach. There was a office hours in town hall for elected officials. Um, but we also had the, uh, small business flash mob. Uh, and, uh, I asked, uh, Twitter, I, I said, Twitter, which, which one should I go to? There were six different neighborhoods to go to. Um, and I didn't want to seem like I was picking favorites, although I had in mind, uh, somebody I wanted to pick. Um, and fortunately they picked the one I wanted to pick, which I got 72 votes for Richmond. So I said, okay, I'm going to go to Richmond um, and do the small business flash mob there. 72 votes. Holy shit, this thing's going to be off the charts, right? Um, I get there. I get to the store. And uh, the only other person in the store besides me was Commissioner Huey. (laughs) (laughs) So the flash mob was essentially just me and Commissioner Huey going from store to store. And... uh, the buying, money. Yeah, the buying power was entirely just me depleting the kids' college savings. <laughs> <laughs> but I felt compelled to make up for the lack of mob that we had. So I was, like, I was, you know, I was buying everything that I, you know, anything that looked even remote. I was texting my kids. I was like, would you like a book on calligraphy? <laughs> and they were like, uh, and I was like, okay, good. <laughs> now you have one. Um, so... Uh, We actually had a great time, though, and we went... um,
4: I feel like you're always surprised that you enjoy hanging out with me. That is (laughs) like... He's like, I was surprised. I had a good time. (laughs) This is on official record now. Yeah. (laughs) No, I I wasn't surprised
1: that I had a good time with Commissioner Huey. Um, There was, uh, you know, I think... I. We thought a lot of people were gonna show up. Um, I think we learned a a couple things that sometimes you have to promote things in advance a little bit. Um, (laughs) I think it would've helped if former Commissioner Yucurio had told me about this event, maybe more than a couple days before it. I I found out about it belatedly. Uh, But I I just meant to say that even though it was just the two of us, um, we still managed to spend a lot of money. and uh, we had uh, quite a few laughs, and um, I got some good books i 've already read one of them. It was fantastic um, and um, And then we went to uh, uh, high, treason. high treason yeah, yeah. The, the wine Bar mm-hmm. um, and I started you know because I was trying to drum up business for this business, I started tweeting that we were at high treason, and by the time we left, there was a good another five people came or so or yeah. five people total so Uh, We we managed to grow our our mob to be almost uh, (laughs) mob-like. And we did uh, generate some additional spending, I I suppose, for our small business sector. So uh, overall, I think it was... uh, But you
4: got to come out to the Richmond, right? You know what? And everybody is invited to come out to the Richmond and hang out with me. I'm a lot of fun. (laughs) And
1: <laughs> surprisingly, you, you don't need 75
4: is. people to tell you on Twitter that I'm a lot of fun, yeah, okay? Yeah.
1: <laughs> you wouldn't think that Commissioner Huey is fun, but just wait. You hang out with her. She's super fun. Uh, you know, I, I, I have to say, uh, uh, from where I live, I live in Sunnyside. So Richmond is is a good 30, 40 minute, uh, you know, with traffic. It can be. Thirty minutes to get out there because there's there's no highway there's no you know it's not like going to the mission where you can just shoot this down is Santa also
4: Zay. a point in terms of transportation of what yeah. happens in the richmond is right. that it's an isolated quadrant so if we can just advocate for more of that yeah
1: yeah, yeah some cross city transit i'm i'm all for it uh, but uh, elon the tunnels mm. yeah the tunnels yeah uh, hyperloop we we need a hyperloop from sunnyside to to uh richmond, richmond. But uh, so I, I've been out to Richmond maybe two or three times in the evening since the pandemic started. I saw a comedy, uh, an outdoor comedy show. That was really fun, enjoyed that. Um, we went to, uh, this was at Nick in the Woods. Uh, we we had a, a lovely dinner um, and then that's about it. So I haven't seen, and both of those were fairly early in, in the pandemic. Now I got kids, like, you know, d- dealing with all the things I know. I don't have the opportunity to visit every district every weekend, um, but walking around as the sun was setting, it was absolutely gorgeous, and I have to say that the quality of the shops and the gifts that you could get, uh, there was a lot of really great stuff. I actually... I was joking about buying stuff I didn't need. Maybe I didn't need it, but I did want it because it, um, it, was, it was very attractive. Uh, and I did come away I, from that experience with um, an enhanced love for the Richmond. So mission, success. Good. And I apologize. I didn't <laughs> make it out to the Art Walk. Um, but next time I will. Um, just don't schedule it when I'm taking my kid to college for...
4: For sure, I'll check For, your schedule before sorry. we yeah. do please. any more art yeah. walks. Yeah. <laughs> Noted. Um,
1: <laughs> all right, so um, I think that's enough getting myself into pr- trouble. Uh, is there any public comment on? There is none. The commissioner comments and questions. Okay. Uh, seeing none, public comment is closed. Next item.
0: Item 7, adjournment. SFGov TV, please show the Office of Small Business slide.
1: So we will end today's meeting with a reminder that the Small Business Commission is the official public forum to voice your opinions and concerns about policies that affect the economic vitality of small businesses in San Francisco, and that the Office of Small Business is the best place to get answers about doing business in San Francisco during the local emergency. If you need assistance with small business matters, continue to reach out to the Office of Small Business. Meeting adjourned. All right.